all profit is value extraction. And that means that all profit is theft from you. Corporate America is on welfare, and, and they you got to get them off welfare. Hey all, this is Bryant. I just wanted to record a little intro to this episode with a couple things that I missed uh, the first time around. So this is a little bit of a shorter update episode. We'll have a longer full episode in two weeks. And um, so it's just me and Brandon on this one um, doing a little bit of updates on nuclear vehicles and a few other things. And uh, I know at one point Brandon mentioned getting blackout drunk for an episode and uh, that episode has not been released yet so something to look forward to i guess uh that's probably one of the ones we'll save for a rainy day when we can't put out a normal episode but we haven't edited that one yet so you know it'll it'll come out sometime um a couple other things uh i think at one point i said megawatts and i meant gigawatts uh that'll make sense when you come to it in the episode and then um, I also mentioned a sci-fi story and a album, and both of those are free to listen to or read, and uh, I'll have the links in the show description as well. Also, um, we might do some more like shorter bonus episodes on our off weeks when we're not all together, maybe just one of us giving a little quick update or a little story or, I don't know, something like that. Um, I might do an episode on the time I briefly, very briefly, for about, I don't know, less than 24 hours, owned a Volkswagen Corrado. Well, sort of owned. Uh, had possession of. So, um, I'm not, I don't think I told that story on the podcast before. If I did, it was on the shitboxes episode, which we recorded a long, long time ago. And I don't remember everything. And I don't really want to go back and listen to it all over again. So, uh, let me know. You know, send us a comment or an email or something on social media and uh, let me know if I already shared that story. Otherwise, I'll record it and put it out probably as a bonus episode next week. Um, yeah, I think that's about it. Let me double check my notes here. Also, the nuclear-powered vehicles of the Cold War, that was episode six. I think I said five at some point. All right, that's all. On to the episode. Hi, welcome to Cars and Comrades. Cars and Comrades. Ah, thanks. <laughs> hey, uh, this is your leftist car podcast for the time being, the time period in which we're doing this, the day, the week, month, whatever. Um, uh, this is Bryant and uh, Brandon. Yeah, we're short staffed this 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 week. Yeah, I don't know. We just kind of threw some shit together here. Uh, we'll see if this ends up as its own episode or um, tacked onto something else, I'm not really sure. But so I got a couple things to talk about here, Brandon. Um, I guess one of the, one thing I was going to say is apologize for the last episode where I was making this noise. Cause I was just fidgeting with a ball bearing and a magnet. So I'm going to try not to do that and keep my 
hands nice and folded in front of me. If we're doing apologies, I should probably apologize because I drank like almost a half a bottle of whiskey in 45 minutes while, <laughs> while we were on the call. And I'm like nervous to hear that episode because I feel like I just was like a raving lunatic by the end of it. Uh, yeah, I mean, not as bad as you were that one time that we didn't record, but, uh, <laughs> oh, I don't remember what that was. I, I was blacked out by the end of the last recording. <laughs> no, I think it would, it went pretty good, but, uh, I don't know. We'll, f- we'll find out. I haven't listened back to it, so. Oh, good. Yeah. I think Connor was going to take a look at that one, but we'll see. Like, let's see if we can save this wreck. <laughs> yeah. All right. What we talked about today, Brian? Well, I guess I was also going to apologize just for not being able to read uh, text fluently out loud on the last one. So uh, sorry, Willow, if I uh, fucked up your email. But uh, I don't know. Brandon, you were saying you you might volunteer to do those in the future. Oh, more than happy to. I'm I'm pretty good with that sort of stuff. Yeah. But I guess one of the things I was going to bring up is, uh, I don't know, since we did the Pet Peeves episode a while ago um i've thought of a few other things that annoy me in the car world one of them is burble tunes so basically making your car run worse so that it uh like backfires on deceleration i like i keep wondering about what what is the deal with that because yeah. I, I i don't really do tuner cars like you know me i'm, I'm old muscle so right and if you're if you have a carburetor on your car is just something that happens naturally right you know you're not if it's tuned well yeah okay <laughs> fair enough um in, in my experience if your carb is tuned so that you're lean popping on deceleration like fix that immediately before you like have to buy a new engine ask yeah. me how i know that <laughs> yeah actually come to think of it that happened to my moped right before the engine seized but uh I did some top end work on an old uh, Chevy 350 in one of my vans, and we didn't mess with the tune on the carburetor at all, and just figured it would be fine. I did start noticing it lean popping, and I'm like, ah, oh, that that's probably fine. Like that's not that big of a deal. And it uh, it was uh, it was grenaded by like probably 600 miles. Yeesh. Which, if that sounds like I put a lot of miles on it before it died, it was a road trip. So. Oh. It was it was dead within a week. Yeah, yeah, that sucks. But I mean, from what I what I've seen of Burble tunes, it's usually newer, uh, like BMWs and uh, like the Ford Fiesta ST or similar cars like that, where they put like the Cobb access port in there. They you know put a tune and an exhaust on it, and they're like, I need to make this even louder so that people will notice me. And, and see that I have a shiny, fast car. I so. run headers on a van, so I can't criticize <laughs> Yeah, but I don't know. Maybe just BMW drivers in general bother me. I mean, there there are those stereotypes of, like, they don't use turn signals and whatever, but I, I maybe there's a little bit of basis in fact for that. Uh, like, if, if we're being less brand-specific, I just generally attribute it to the more of a, like, luxury oriented brand a car has the more entitled the drivers have a tendency towards being it like like i i, I go on my tirades about lexuses and shit but like at the end of the day it, i think that's it and i think like the mid-tier ones like a lexus or or like a bmw or something like that 
have a weird tendency to be almost worse than actual luxury cars because it's usually like petite bourgeoisie who who really value themselves a lot higher than even their like somewhat all right position in like the managerial class. Like not always, but they're like, I don't need to use the turn signal. They'll get out of my way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, the road was paved for me. Right. And uh, I guess the other thing that, that annoys me, I, I haven't heard this too much other than on the smoking tire podcast. Uh, so I don't know if this is like a common thing with automotive journalists or if it's just Matt Farah, but um, he, he tends to, when he's talking about a new car, drop any like articles in front of the name of the car. So he'll be saying stuff like, have you driven Mustang? Uh, like not have you driven the new Mustang or like, you know, have you driven a Mustang? You know, he'll just say, have you driven Mustang? You know, is he like Eastern European? And maybe it's like, have you driven Mustang? (laughs) No, no. He's like from Connecticut or something. Is Connecticut like, a maybe also like a weird part of Serbia? (laughs) Yeah, I don't, I don't quite understand it. Like I, maybe it's something that started with like, um, automotive marketing, like PR type folks. Like I think, cause I remember there was a, a lot of confusion around when the Prius came out. People are like, what is the plural of Prius? Is it Priuses? And someone figured out the, the Latin plural is Priora, <laughs> but you know, it's not like any of us speak Latin, but uh, I'm going to say it's Prion. <laughs> that that works too yeah uh but uh i think the official line from toyota was prius vehicles or something like that you know something so they didn't feel like answering the question gotcha right yeah i don't know so yeah maybe listener write in if you've heard this kind of shit maybe i don't know it's maybe it's just a pet peeve of mine and it's not something to get you know too worked up about but uh i don't know whatever but i guess the the bulk of what i had in my notes today is uh some updates on the nuclear vehicles episode that we did way back i think it was like episode five or something and i've found a few other new ones since then brandon have you looked did you look at any of these uh notes here already or I've been in the woods for the last two days, so I've I've not had much opportunity to look through anything. Okay. Well, I think you can be forgiven for that. I mean... Uh, I got home we, five minutes before this call started. So. Yeah, we did kind of do this at the last minute uh, without a lot of notice. Uh, so you get what you pay for, people. Yeah. Maybe I'll cut that out. That sounded kind of mean, saying, hey, have you done your homework? Oh, no, you're good. <laughs> be mean to me if you want to. I did not do my homework. Scold me, teacher. so the first one that i found so these are all basically just uh designs that were sketched up by some crazy asshole in the cold war you know none of them really built uh the first one is the lockheed cl 1201 and this was a nuclear powered uh transport aircraft and the premise behind it was it would fly in a loop around the Atlantic between the U S and Europe and basically uh, either 
military transport planes like C-130s or like even commercial airliners like 747s or whatever could latch onto the back of this thing with like a tow rope. And that way they wouldn't have to carry as much fuel with them. So you could have smaller planes doing, you know, transatlantic uh, flights and this a nuclear powered airplane would, you know, tow them most of the way, basically. Huh. So it's an interesting idea, but it's kind of insane, like to build this gigantic airplane. Like they were talking about, like how they would have to like build special runways for it and, you know, all kinds of crazy shit. All right. That reminds me of an expression that an insane friend of mine used around me the other day, which is, it's like a, a McDonald's bathroom. You're just throwing shit at the walls and seeing what sticks. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. These, the, you know, this was, they're like, hey, what can we do with nuclear reactors? Uh, maybe power a gigantic plane. What would we do with that giant plane? I don't know, tow shit. You I mean, it was, it was a different time. The world had a new toy and damned if they weren't going to play with it. Yeah. Um, and they also talked about um, building a seaplane version. Uh, and then also um, having uh, like fighter planes attached to it under the wings, like a couple of F4 Phantoms, like as escort planes or whatever, uh, sort of, I don't know, docking with it like an aircraft carrier or something. So there's a lot of weird shit going on with that. The second one I've got, the only thing I know, like I don't have like a model number or anything, and I couldn't really find a whole lot of information about this, but the only thing I found was like um, like a plastic model kit for this uh, Northrop airplane. Uh, was supposed to be a nuclear-powered flying wing. So like Northrop in the 50s or 40s and 50s had been experimenting with flying wing airplanes, uh, sort of like the B-2 bomber. Uh, but this was like before they had, you know, like modern computer-aided design and and um, avionics and stuff. So it was all pretty primitive. And I think a lot of their, their original, you know, prototypes crashed. Uh, but they also looked into doing a nuclear-powered version. And the thing that caught my eye about this is you know with all these with all these nuclear powered planes they wanted they were worried about of course about the crew being exposed to too much radiation so like the hell with everyone they're flying over yeah exactly <laughs> uh and in this one they they're like well what if we just put the cockpit on one of the wingtips yeah i'm looking at the design and i was waiting for you to explain that I was like, surely that's not what it looks like. Yeah. So just everyone's over off on the left side and the the reactor's in the center or maybe a little off to the right to balance it out. But uh, yeah, it's it's kind of insane. I don't know if that would have worked, but I don't well, know. Everyone knows that radiation can't really travel more than a couple of, like, what, dozen feet. <laughs> yeah, I think, I mean, it's... Um, I think it's it's like uh, I forget the equation or whatever, but it's like root mean squared or something. It's like it's kind of like uh, sound and decibels and shit. But basically, like radiation intensity drops off exponentially with distance. So, like the further you can get away, the less shielding you need, basically. Okay. Uh, 
like the the original ones that they were testing in the 50s with a small nuclear reactor in the actual airplane those they had like 11 tons of shielding or something like that in like oh, around the cockpit all? yeah <laughs> and that's 11 tons of shielding not 11 tons of like everything right yeah no i'm sure the the reactor was another several tons i'm not sure cool 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 so yeah, I couldn't find anything about that. So listeners, if you if you know anything more than I do, uh, let me know. And then this one, let me let me double check something here real quick. Oh, and and that uh, the CL twelve hundred one I found out about on this YouTube channel called Found and Explained, and uh, they talk about all kinds of weird aircraft projects. It's kind of interesting, sort of weird designs from the past like at one point in the like 80s i think they were talking about doing a flying oil tanker so you know if you want to look at some weird projects that never got built that's one of them did you say in the 80s i think so it might have been even the 90s i like how this idea came about like well after all of the reasons why it would be a bad idea were like glaringly obvious yeah, no, it was a terrible idea. I mean, it was basically like, I don't have the details in front of me, but it was like in the, uh, when they were starting to drill for oil in Alaska, they're like, you know, well, it's going to take a shit ton of of resources to make an oil pipeline or like a, like a you know, a shipping port to get this this oil out of here. So like, why don't we just build an airport and fly it out? And uh, I think they figured out that was a bad idea. And uh, yeah. I guess I shouldn't be overly critical of ideas that never went into production because they realized how stupid it was. <laughs> that just seems like so stupid that it was like, it's obvious from its inception that it's just not going to pan out. Right. Uh, but another thing I found on that channel was, I know this is a really dumb idea. The, nuclear submarine ramjet bomber so this was uh conveyor came up with this design where it's a it's a submerged i guess it's a submarine that can go underwater uh most submarines can go underwater (laughs) well it could propel itself with basically a nuclear ramjet engine and basically take seawater in run it through the reactor heated up and squirted out the back for propulsion. And then it would lie at the bottom of the sea for, you know, several weeks or months at a time. And then when you need it, so this was basically an evolution of that project Pluto cruise missile that I was talking about on the nuclear vehicles uh, episode. Okay. Uh, but it was, it had people in it. This one was a bomber with, with people in it. And so when they got the call, okay, go bomb the Russians, they would shoot up out of the water and then start flying. And they would have a tank of seawater inside um, the uh, the bomber that would go through the reactor and jet out the back. Uh, so it would basically be like a steam-powered rocket. And then it would do a, a similar similar mission to the Project Pluto cruise missile. It would go down very low to the ground at like Mach 4 and shoot out nuclear bombs and irradiate the countryside underneath it. And uh, 
and then in theory they could land it in the water and then you know go underwater um back to base so it yeah it was kind of a weird concept but i don't know i don't know if it would have worked or if it would have just been they, they they were saying that it probably would have been like super super noisy underwater with this weird jet drive thing so that like everyone could hear where it was with sonar so i think that's why the project got killed but also just because it was kind of insane okay I'm having a hard time even making complete sense of that idea, so I can't even wholly criticize it. But like, yeah, and I'm not entirely sure how the engine worked. It seemed a little hand wavy, but uh, I don't know. Someone, someone at Convair decided it was worth looking into. And then let's see. I also, the last sort of project idea that I've seen. Um, was the nuclear saltwater rocket. So this was, this is like a, a rocket. Oh, that's the machine that makes nuclear saltwater taffy. <laughs> I mean, you could make taffy out of this, but you wouldn't want to eat it because it was, it would be very radioactive. So I would get superpowers. Sure. Yeah. You'd like become a bottom jaw. <laughs> yes. Like, Come uh, there. Well, there was that that happened to that one guy. Um, oh, what well, that's what happened name? with the radium girls. Yeah, exactly. There was also like a radium tonic that they sold to like rich people, and uh, there's some some rich guy I forgot what his name was that that uh, you know was a big proponent of this this tonic stuff and drank it all the time, and then his uh, jaw fell off. So, yeah, fun stuff. Uh, but this one, the nuclear saltwater uh, rocket, it it's designed basically for like really fast, uh, like deep space missions where you'd be going to like, I don't know, Jupiter with like several hundred tons of payload or something like that. Okay. And it's basically you have a giant tank of uranium that's dissolved in water, maybe with a few other elements in there to make it like more soluble or whatever. And then you have it in and amongst that you have something that absorbs neutrons like boron so that it doesn't turn into a nuclear reactor just in the fuel tank. And then you pump it into a rocket nozzle where there's no boron and that starts the nuclear reaction in the rocket nozzle. So you basically have a nuclear reactor that's just spewing, um, you know, steam and uranium out the back uh, very fast as your your rocket engine. Okay, um, it's now occurring to me, I have very little like fundamental understanding of how nuclear propulsion works. I mean, this is a this is so I found this video uh, from a, a guy named uh, Scott Manley, um, who he's a pretty interesting uh, channel if you're interested in like rocketry or, or um, space. And uh, he does, he does like the, the like Kerbal space program type stuff. He talks about like, you know, NASA and SpaceX and all that kind of stuff. So he's a good resource if you're interested in, in space uh, travel. But so he was saying that this is not like a, this isn't like something that anyone's done. This is just an idea, but it would work technically. There's nothing like, you know, this 
obeys all the laws of physics. It's nothing too crazy. But it would basically be like having the Chernobyl explosion happening, you know, continuously inside of a rocket engine. Uh, so it'd be very powerful. It would it would be, I think, around twice the power of of Chernobyl at its peak during the explosion. Wow. So I, I think it was around I want to it was either 700 gigawatts or megawatts continuous. I should probably know that because uh, that's quite a difference. It's a big difference, but I don't have like a good sense of scale on this anyway. So it's basically all we're, I, I know like you need 1.21 gigawatts to time travel. That's that's it. Yeah. And and like your typical nuclear reactor is putting out like one to two gigawatts uh, continuously, like to the electric grid, and then maybe it's fifty percent efficient. So there's another, uh, you know, similar amount going to just heat loss. So this is just, you know, putting a bunch of heat and kinetic energy out the back, and I don't know. It looks pretty interesting. Like he was saying, because your the exhaust is so fast, it would basically just fly outside of the solar system and you wouldn't have any like radiate radioactive particles like you know falling down to earth or anything yeah but also it's this is not something that you would like launch from the ground this would like you would assemble this in space and uh yeah in uh, that respect it doesn't actually sound like the worst idea except in so much as like we just probably have better ideas for like means of propulsion at this point right yeah i mean this yeah, this would be like if you want to go to you know Jupiter in two weeks or Alpha Centauri in like twenty years or whatever. Yeah, don't quote me on those numbers, but and was I going to say this one? They they have a specific impulse of ten thousand seconds, which basically my understanding of specific impulse is it's. Um, if you take a pound of of fuel or a kilogram or whatever, and you get a pound of uh, thrust force or a kilogram or whatever, uh, how long can you do that for? How like how efficient is the engine at taking one pound of fuel and making one pound of thrust? You know what I mean? How long does that last you for? Uh, and most like chemical rocket engines are around uh, like. I think around 500 seconds specific impulse. Uh, most of the nuclear rockets that I talked about previously in the, in the previous episode was around like eight or 900 seconds. And then this one is 10,000 seconds. So it's oh. a very efficient uh, design. Okay. But yeah, like it's, it's not something that you would just build a, on the small scale to, to just piddle around with. It would, it would be, you know, a big space spacecraft for, uh, exploration or whatever so I, I know this is an oversimplification but in this case we're effectively talking about like using water as rocket fuel yeah basically so i mean my objection to that is I, I know that like in a certain scale we're not exactly running out of water but given like our tendency as a civilization to really abuse every energy source that we can come around i don't think we should be sending all of our water into space i mean this would this would be something like the size of like a Saturn V rocket or something. It wouldn't be like 
uh, like all of Lake Michigan or something. It would just be, uh, you know, a good sized tank of water. Yeah, sure. It starts that way. <laughs> yeah, this is not. I mean, you're finding the uranium and refining is going to be the tougher uh, task, I think. You know, maybe spewing all that that uranium out into the solar system would be less efficient than like having a nuclear reactor on the ground and just, you know, using it to power things, make electricity or whatever. But if you really want to explore the galaxy or, you know, the solar system and go super, super quick, have like a, a muscle car spaceship, this is the, the engine for you. Well, when you put it that way, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So let's, let's, you know, drag race to Alpha Centauri with this thing. And then I just had a couple other uh, videos that I found that aren't anything new necessarily, but they do a good job of explaining some of the stuff that I had talked about previously. So uh, there's a channel called Curious Droid, and uh, he did a, a short little video about nuclear-powered planes, trains, and automobiles. And so he talks about some of the same projects that, that we talked about previous. Um, he does say that the Russians actually built a functional uh, nuclear-powered bomber as a test vehicle, but I wasn't able to find anything confirming that, uh, so I'm not sure if that's true. Uh, it seems like it was either that hoax that I was talking about where they they sort of leaked it to the press that they they had been building one just to fuck with the Americans, or it might have been the test where they put a a nuclear reactor in a plane just to see what the radiation would be like, but not actually using it to propel the airplane. Okay. So I'm not, he might've gotten his, his facts a little mixed up there. I'm not really sure. And then I also found, let me find the source for this. Uh, the, the channel's called documentary tube and uh, it's a like 18 minute documentary from like, I think the early seventies called How It Works Nuclear Propulsion. And so this is the nuclear rocket engines, the Nerva rockets that I was talking about previous. Um, and they, so if you wanted more of like a visual aid of how the engine was put together, this is a good uh, video about it. I think it was put together by the like defense contractors that were building or designing these things sort of as a way to sell it to, you know, NASA or you know, the Air Force or whoever was building rockets at the time. And they they sort of describe using these as like a, a way to get to Mars. You know, you would their idea is basically you wouldn't need anything much bigger than like a Saturn V. Uh, if it was nuclear powered, you could go to Mars pretty easily with that uh, because it, it's about twice as efficient as uh, your equivalent chemical rocket at you know, using fuel to make thrusts. Um, okay. So that's kind of cool. I think that's all I have for the nuclear-powered update stuff. Um, I don't know if you had anything, or I can uh, talk about that that theory uh, with the uh, King Gizzard album. I don't know if we want to put that in this one, too. Um, I don't know. That's up to you. I don't really have much, because... Uh, as I told you before, I, I, I've been sick. I'm, I'm dealing with Lyme's disease right now. And I've just been working overtime, being sick and partying. Yeah. Uh, so I've not done anything productive for about two weeks. Yeah. And, and I've been busy too. I might be moving in a 
in a few months. So I've been looking at places. So, but, uh, I don't know. I, I do have this, uh, this one thing I can talk about for a little bit and then I think we'll wrap up here. So if, if you saw me in person, uh, in the last cup, like year, I might've told you about this theory. Cause I, for a while I was kind of going off on it for a while, but, uh, you know, the, the music that we use for like our intros and outros and, and most of our like transitions and stuff is all from this album called Polygon Wanaland by King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. And um, it's, it's one of my favorite albums of theirs. Uh, it's sort of like a prog rock album with like a lot of polyrhythm. So sort of like, I, I'm not really big on music theory. I don't really know the terminology, but it's a lot of weird time signatures and sort of jazz uh, drumming and stuff like that but it also like the lyrics and the story of the album is sort of like all about people exploring like you know new new uh lands and like seeing weird creatures and also like conspiracies and secret societies and uh stuff like that so it's you know there's there's this whole thing with king gizzard that that the fans call the gizverse which is <laughs> yeah it's it's an interesting name um yeah and and king gizzard fans are often called giz heads uh so i i've listened to them before and had uh have some friends who really like them but this is all news okay I did not. yeah so like it's you know i'm not sure how much of this is intentional by the the band or if this is just projection that you know, just some dumb theory that a bunch of stoners came up with uh, to sort of like link all of the albums and songs together in this like extended story. But for this album, I, I guess, uh, I don't know if this is a theory or just an idea that it seems to be linked to a, a novella, sort of like a short story, sci-fi uh, story called, Missile Gap by Charles Strauss, uh, who's one of my favorite sci-fi authors. And this novella, I won't give too much of it away, uh, but it it has a lot of these weird nuclear-powered vehicles in it, uh, which is kind of why I bring it up in this episode. And the premise is that it's at the height of the Cuban Missile Crisis, and then, you know, instantly the the earth changes shape and instead of being a globe it's a flat earth now and what do you mean now so like right at the so i mean this is a like alternative history oh you're you're, you're one of those like globe earth people <laughs> i'm sorry yeah okay well in that in that uh aspect just imagine if the earth was round and then it became flat See, Oh, suddenly my earth is not hierarchical yeah okay it's it's horizontalist it's yes. <laughs> so the only true the only true communist earth is flat yeah <laughs> so in this in this uh story basically the earth becomes flat and it's it's i forget if it's called a mercator projection basically it's spread out so that like the u.s and the soviet union are no longer within missile range of each other and uh, that changes like the whole geopolitics of the Cold War after that. 
so they're not really sure what why this happened but basically they're theorizing that they're now living in like a computer simulation of the cold war like built by i don't know aliens or future humans or something um but it appears that they're on this like gigantic disc which i should probably look up what it's called there's like a, a name for this um Let me find it. It's on the Wikipedia page. An Alderson disc. So some guy named Alderson invented this idea of an Alderson disc, where it's basically you have a flat disc where just uh, from the mass of it, um, it's uh, it has the same gravitational attraction at the surface um, as the Earth would. But because it's bigger than the earth in diameter it it's much more massive so like uh the escape velocity would be bigger than um more than the earth so like you couldn't take off from it in a rocket and you know fly away and it's basically i don't quite understand the dimensions of it but it has a sun in like a in a hole in the middle so it's like a donut shaped disc uh, with a, a sun in the middle that uh, gives you your uh, your sunlight. Yeah, this is, I mean, it's a weird idea. But basically, they're like, did did these aliens or future humans, like, you know, peel the Earth like an orange and lay it out on this disk, like molecule by molecule? Or are we just in a simulation? And then this is what they, you know, this is what they, how they chose to simulate it. Um, but because it's bigger than the Earth in land area, it's like, uh, like, what do they say? Uh, I don't have a number for that. But um, because it's bigger than the Earth, there's other like continents outside of their the normal uh, range, like that that are are like totally unknown and unmapped. So part of the the story is. Um, Yuri Gagarin is flying a nuclear-powered uh, ekranoplan, which is a type of seaplane, around to like map these these new continents and like figure out like the the life forms on them. So they're not really sure if these other continents are um, like other alien planets that were also brought to this this new simulation thing, um, or if they're uh, if they're like different versions of earth that were like saved from a different backup or whatever. So I, I won't give away the story, but that's, that's the basic premise. Um, and there's like a, like a weird sort of conspiracy going on with like, um, between, uh, different agents that are sort of playing off of the Soviet union and the U S at the same time. Um, like Carl Sagan is one of the characters. It's, it's fucking weird book. But it seems to have, like, I'm not sure if the album Polygon Wonderland was based off of this story or if it is just a coincidence. But what I what I was thinking is, like, this would make a really cool movie is if you combine, if you made a movie out of this story and used the music from uh, King Gizzard. I think it would match well, so... That's basically my theory, and I'm probably too lazy to ever write a screenplay for it. And you know, if I did, I don't 
think it would ever get made, but I don't know. That's that's my idea, I guess. Car people don't have free time to do other things. Right, yeah. And I'm also a little ADD, so I have a short attention span for writing, actually sitting down and rock, writing stuff like that. But I don't know. That's my idea. If you're, uh, I'll put the links in the in the show if you want to listen to the album or read the story and tell me that I'm stupid or tell me, yeah, man, that's a cool idea. You should write that screenplay. Or actually, I'm a good screenwriter. I can do that. So, yeah, let me know, I guess. And if someone writes the screenplay, we're going to need uh, somebody who has some experience in movie production um, to get this produced. So actually, like, yeah, anybody in the film industry, get at us. Yeah. Uh, I actually might be in the film industry soon, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Um, no no update on that, really. Okay. Just I've, I've got my paperwork in and I'm waiting on a call. Supposedly, they'll call me within the next month or so. Cool. Yeah. Well, I think that's all I've got for this one. This one, I guess, is going to be a little shorter or maybe it'll just, like I said, get tacked onto something else that we, we do and put out. Or maybe it's bonus content. Yeah. Yeah. We were talking about doing just like maybe on the weeks that we're, you know, on our off weeks, uh, every other week do just like a short little bonus, uh, bonus episode with some updates or some just random bullshit that we were thinking about or whatever. So that's kind of where I'm at with this. I'm, I'm good with this being a short one. I am recovering and I feel awful. Yeah. And I didn't sleep that well myself. So, uh, I think I'm going to get some food and uh, I might go uh, see if um, Rafi and James need help on their uh, race car still. So, all right. Maybe that uh, maybe that will end up in this episode if I talk to them on mic. But eh, I think I'll be concentrating on actually, you know, working on the car rather than recording anything. So, all right. Sounds solid. So, is that us for today? I think that's it. Um, I'm sure if right. Connor was here, he would say follow us on social media and uh, what is it, you know, like and review and subscribe and all that stuff. Yeah, I'm not good at that stuff either. Just we have social media, use it. We like interacting with people who enjoy what we yeah. do. Yeah, and and thanks for all the positive comments that we have been getting lately. So, yeah. I got to get on the socials more. I didn't even know we were getting all this positive feedback. Yeah, it's been mostly good. We had one, one weirdo call us uh, reactionaries just for... Uh, talking about uh, internal combustion engines. Okay. So I mean, yeah, yeah, somewhat. You know, like in at the, off off camera before this, we were discussing like where you draw the line between like making communism and and leftism in general accessible versus the genuine need to completely restructure society, which is off-putting for even a lot of leftists. Yeah, yeah. And that, that falls well into like that sort of territory. Like, yes, I respect that this is a hobby of mine that uh, is generally not positive for the world at large, but it is also a thing I enjoy. And so whatever, go fuck yourself if you said that. Yeah. And uh, I don't know, we, we were also talking about like maybe going into a little bit more like political theory, uh, on maybe some of the bonus episodes or maybe some of the regular episodes. I don't know. I think that was Connor's idea, but we'll, we'll talk it over with him and figure out something. I, we don't want to like, you know, there's plenty of other podcasts for political theory and, but maybe we can, you know, give our own spin on things a little bit. I've, I've done some, some reading, but I'm none too eager to flaunt my ignorance. Yeah. I'm in the same boat. I know enough to, 
to make me dangerous and you know enough to maybe say something stupid but yeah i'm, I'm sure if, if i like actually tried to uh discuss political theory in the context of like a medium such as podcasting where people cannot interact with us but can criticize us we will just get torn to shreds but you know whatever i like learning yeah all right well i think that's about it then i'm gonna stop recording here all right bye everybody bye we don't make you fight five to five bits. We make you fight five to water bits. We gonna fight riches and not riches, but we gonna fight the solidarity. We said we're not gonna fight capitalism with black capitalism, but we gonna fight the socialism. <laughs>